Good morning. morning. And happy Mother's Day to all the mothers here. I'd say it's it's usually Father Trent uh, who talks about sports from the pulpit, but uh, I don't mind telling you I have been caught up in the hype about Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer and Travis Etienne. And, you know, because I don't, I don't know about you, but it has been pretty hard uh, to care very much at all uh, the last couple of years uh, about the Jaguars. But now I feel like I got a little teal zeal. I don't know about you. That, I, that's tr- trademark. I'm gonna, that's going to catch you on, teal zeal. I, I saw a picture of a guy wearing a T-shirt, teal T-shirt, and on the front was a, a, a headshot of Trevor Lawrence, and underneath it just said hope, and, and and it wasn't it wasn't like the red and blue like like Barack Obama. It was kind of reminiscent of that. It was, um, but it was a religious statement. I promise you that. Uh, and we're all kind of feeling it though, aren't we? We're just feel like we might have a team to believe in, a quarterback and a coach that aren't going to let us down, and um, and you know that that excitement is uh, is is taking over our thoughts. It's spilling into our conversations. Uh, showing up in other parts of our lives, and we want to talk about the draft, we want to listen to sports radio a little more, we want to uh, read the articles that pop up on Facebook relentlessly, at least I do, um, and, and we want to spend money. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Trevor Lawrence uh, not just broke the record, but doubled the record for the first day of the draft jersey sales. Doubled it. People are excited. I mean, there's no rules about how you're supposed to be a fan, but fans know how to act like fans, don't they? Now, fans want other people to know that they're fans. They enjoy the camaraderie with other fans. And, and, um, and they're not, it's not buying the jersey and the season tickets that make you a fan. It's the love that we have for the team or the player or the city uh, that makes us want to buy the jersey and the tickets, right? The, the fans love the team, and they let that love show in their lives. And there's a lot of love for the Jags right now. Can I get an amen? Right? Yeah. Okay. So here, so here's the transition from the book of Saint Trevor to First uh, John chapter five, and that is that hope and belief don't just sit in the heads and the hearts of fans. That hope and belief are actively expressed in the way that fans live their lives. Hope and belief are actively expressed in the way that fans live their lives. All right, the Apostle John. Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John, but he also wrote three letters that are in the New Testament uh, to his friends, and we call those letters 1 John, 2 John, and third John, very creative names uh, for his letters. And today we have a passage from the Gospel of John. Uh, and we also have a passage from the first letter of John, first John. And these two passages, they work very well together, but we're going to spend our time in first John, uh, the letter, where John is writing to his friends that hope and belief in Jesus Christ are actively expressed in the way that believers live their lives. Hope and belief in Jesus Christ are actively expressed in the way that believers live their lives. Now, I want to just get something sort of out of the way 
or, or maybe just be real clear about it, uh, and that is that uh, what John is writing is descriptive, not prescriptive. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me give you an example. Uh, I'm a runner. I like to run. Uh, it's one of the ways that I sort of get my stress out in a, in a healthy way. And, um, and you know, I, I like to run. I'm not the best runner, but if I read a, uh, an article about a great runner, maybe like an Olympic runner who is, uh, has perfect form and blazing speed, you know, it inspires me to be a better runner, but it does not mean that I'm not, not already a runner, right? It, it's not prescribing, prescri- it's not prescribing to me that in order to be a runner, you have to uh, be like this perf- perfect athlete. You have to do this, this, and this. It, it just is describing maybe this athlete's good form or his good nutrition or her work ethic or something like that, and I can be inspired at, to lead a better uh, to be a better runner. Does that make sense? There's description versus prescription. What John is giving us is description. Okay, He's not prescribing that if uh, you're only a Christian if you do this, this, and this. Uh, he is describing how hope and belief in Jesus Christ are actively expressed in the lives of Christian believers. So John hung out with Jesus. He's an apostle. Uh, and and there, so there is great value in hearing from him a description of what it looks like to have our faith uh, expressed in our lives. So I'm not going to give you three points. I'm just going to kind of work through the passage, and because of time, just the first half of the passage, the first three verses. And it's going to help you to know that John is writing his friends in churches to tell them how people in the church should deal with people in the church. How people in the church should deal with people in the church. Because I don't know, apparently way back then, people in the church could get upset with one another. Because that's a joke, right? So, um, so we, can, we can use this. We can use this, right? So how, now let me, how we approach people outside the church who, you know, who don't believe yet, that's, that's very important. That's a different sermon. Right? But um, John's main concern in this letter is love between believers, love within the church. So he starts our passage off. This is chapter 5. There's five, verses, uh, five chapters in this letter. Uh, starts our passage off with two statements, a declaration and then a description. Okay, So here's the declaration. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Here's the description. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. All right, so let's talk about the declaration first. He's saying, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, it is because God birthed that belief into you. He put it there. He, he birthed it into you. We can remember in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, very famous passage where we get God so loved the world. And he remember, he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. And, you know, in our denomination, we don't use born again language as much as 
uh, some other denominations do, but it does not mean that it, it doesn't apply to us, of course. Essentially, John is saying in this letter the same thing that Jesus was saying, that if you have saving faith in Christ, that is, if you believe that Jesus is your Savior in the sense that His death served as the required penalty for your sin before God so that you don't have to pay the penalty and so you can have eternal life with God, then you have that belief because God put that belief there. You have that belief because God put it there. So that's, that's good news. And it's good news because it means you don't have to wonder if you have done enough. You don't have to wonder if you believed hard enough because it is God's work. It's God's work. He's done it. You can't screw it up. Right? So it is not a statement of condemnation for those who don't yet believe. That's another sermon. It is a statement of assurance for those who do believe. God put that belief there on purpose. You have been born of God. And so another way that, uh, to say that is that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is a Christian by the grace of God. By the grace of God. And in fact, if you are wrestling with or struggling with that, uh, that belief, it means that God is working in your life. So that's the declaration, right? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now here's the description. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. He love, who, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So John is saying people who love the Father, he's talking about Christians in the church, love Christians love whoever else is a Christian. We could spend weeks, I think, just on the implication of that verse alone. Because I wonder, have you ever uh, gotten crossways with another Christian? Or have you ever talked bad about another denomination? Or about the church that you grew up in? Or maybe on you've been on the other end where you felt like someone who claimed to be a Christian, who professed faith in Christ, treated you in a way that was not Christ-like. And man, that hurts. Because we, we Christians, we don't have a real good track record in some, sometimes. And if we, could, if we Christians could just focus on handling our differences within the body of Christ in a way that was Christ-like, I mean, how, how much would that improve our witness to those who don't believe? That Jesus is the Christ. And how much would it improve our witness to those who used to believe that Jesus is the Christ, but they got burned by the church, so they have parted ways. Let me go back to the football analogy. That people who love the Jags just naturally do what? All sorts of things. They tailgate. They wear teal. You probably wouldn't wear teal if you weren't a Jags fan, right? So uh, they watch the games. They know the players' names. Not, not everybody, but we kind of feel like it's weird when they don't do those things. Wouldn't it be incredible if our love for Christ flowed out of us as freely as our love for our football team? I mean, if people who loved God loved other Christians, and loved, who were, they were kind to other Christians, they wrote encouraging things on social media about other Christians prayed for other Christians to the point that it just felt weird when they didn't do it. 
Let's be, let's be a church like that. Let's be a church like that. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And then what happens, John gives us two, uh, two ways that we can know we're on the right track with loving other Christians. He says this. He says, by this, we know that we love the children of God. So here's the two things. When we love God, we obey His commands. That's how we know. When we love God and we obey His commands. Now that might seem a little bit strange because we might expect this is how we know we love the children of God when we give them gifts or words of affirmation and encouragement or write them notes or something like that. But no, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commands. So John, just a minute ago, John said that everyone who loves the Father loves other Christians. And now the way we know that we're loving other Christians is to love the Father. It might sound a little like John is talking in circles. And actually circles is kind of how it works. Because part of learning to love God is learning to love what God loves. And you know what God loves more than anything else? His children. His children love you. How, how, does, how does that rhyme go? Red and yellow, black and white. Baptist, Catholic, non-denoms, and Mennonites. Isn't that right? Even when they're wrong and you're right? Something like that. See, loving God is, is not just a vertical feeling, but, it, but letting that love, that hope and belief, work itself out in our relationships. To love God is fuel for loving our neighbor. And John doesn't, you know, he doesn't mean this syrupy, sentimental feeling. He, he means a strong, active, determined love. To grow in Christ is to equip ourselves to be a person who exudes God's love. And of course, this does not mean that we can't disagree sometimes, right? I mean, it does mean learning to handle difficulties with the grace and the patience and the charity of Jesus Christ. And to have true love, Christian love and concern for the person with whom we disagree. And I gotta tell you, I am still learning that, and probably always will be. But we know we're on the right track in loving God's children if we're loving God. Now the other way that we know we're on the right track is when we uh, if we obey his commands. Again, I don't know about you, but I don't love the word obey. I mean, I love it uh, for my kids, you know, like, but for me, it's why God put one of these collars around my neck, right? It kind of sounds uh, a little authoritarian, uh, oppressive maybe, in my individualistic and Western ears. But if we, you know, if we flip back over to the gospel passage from John, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It's the night before he dies. And he's leaving these parting words of wisdom for them. And he's talking to them about following his commandments. And specifically about the commandment that his disciples love one another. That's us, right? I mean, not just the twelve, but, but all of us who follow Christ. How we love one another. And he says this. He says, I'm telling you all this so that my joy may be in you. So that your, your joy may be or complete. The way to joy in our lives is to follow God's commands. 
To obey God's commands is to work with His Spirit against our own fallen nature. I mean, the fallen nature, that's why we don't like the word obey, right? We want to be independent. But to obey God's commands is to work with the Spirit against our fallen nature and to work according to His design for us. And this is good for us, and it's good for everybody. So you remember when in the gospel passage somebody came and asked Jesus, they wanted to test Jesus, put him to the test, they wanted to trip him up. So they said, hey Jesus, what is the most important law in the Bible? And Jesus says that everything, all the law and all the prophets They all hang on two commands. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And that's what John is saying in the letter. Love God. Love your neighbor. God, the God who made us all, has told us how best to care for one another. The laws of God are not given because God is some celestial killjoy. I like it how I like it, and you better not mess it up. No. The law is given to reflect the character of God. And when we're following God's law, we're reflecting His character. And what is His character? Love. God is love, right? We heard that last week. And here's the last thing that I want to convey this morning. Real quick. I think John anticipated that we might not love the idea of obedience. Right? So, so he clarifies, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a Bible translator, but I think there ought to be a comma there instead of a period. It's not that we keep his commands, and by the way, his commands aren't burdensome. Of course they are. They're hard work. But we, this is the love of God, and we keep them, and they're a joy to us, not an obligation. And that's what grace does for us. It creates in us a desire to honor God and to love his people. We're learning to love what God loves. We know we're loving God when we're keeping his commandments, and it's joy, not obligation. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, like for for Mother's Day, you know you have to, right? You got to do something, but you want to. It's joy. Right? I mean, you got to, but it's joy. Like, you want to. It's, ob- it's not obligation. I mean, it is obligation, but it's not. It's joy. Right? I promise, honey. It's, it's joy. We're doing it because we love God, not so that God will love us, because He already loves us. And we're respond- we love because He first loved us. We're responding to that love. Fans know how to be fans, right? They love their team, and that love pours out of them in all sorts of ways. So as Christians, let's let the hope and belief that we have in Jesus be actively expressed in the way that we live our lives. Let's let it pour out of us as we love God and love our neighbor. Amen?